Whether you call Impact City Church your home or whether this is your first time here, and I know we have a few of those, we welcome you today. We welcome you today. We are excited that you made time to worship with us. And I am thrilled to be able to start a new series this morning entitled Built on the Word. Built on the Word. We're going to dive in for the next four weeks on the importance of God's word because can I tell you, can I remind you that while society changes, while fads may come and go, God's word is the same. Amen. Built on the word. David said that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It's not a crystal ball into the future, no, absolutely not, but it is just enough for us to see and to be able to, it's positioned enough in our lives, it should be, that it, it helps us make decisions and, then, and it helps us take those next steps. Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 7 and he starts talking about three, three different topics there in Matthew 7. And then he says this, he says, if you hear my word, those who hear my word and obey them, he said, I'll compare them to a man who built his house on the rock. And when the wind blew and when the storms came and when there was a shaking, that house stood because of the foundation. He said, but if you don't listen and if you don't obey my words, he said, it's, you're like a man who built your house on the sand. And that same house, but a different foundation. Isn't it incredible what a foundation, the difference that it makes? Can I tell you that everybody in life is going to go through trouble? Actually, the Bible says that man's life is short and full of trouble. We all will go through it. But I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you and I want to speak to your heart that when we go through it, whatever it is for you, that we would be able to stand on God's word. That because we have a foundation that because I'm going to experience sickness like everybody else, that I'm, I'm able to keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. That when problems come, that I'm able to keep my, that I'm able to lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. I want to listen to what Jesus has to say. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. So can I tell you this? 24 hours in a day. Seven days a week, seven days in a week, that's 168 hours. I, and if you sleep eight hours, which a lot of us sleep less than that, that leaves 112 hours. And we come here together and we gather for approximately two hours, and I'm being generous. The question that I'd like to ask is what are we doing with the other 110 hours. I want you to know that we care deeply for you, that we want you to experience the life that God has designed for you. He said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you 
abundantly. But why does it feel like sometimes we're not there? Why is there a disconnect between what God is telling us and what we're living? We care deeply for you that you would be able to step into the life that God designed for you. That you would have a life that is built on his word. To live that life that is described in Psalms 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law. Day and night. That person, because when we get there, when we have a life that is just built on God's word, that person is like a tree that is planted by streams of water which gives its fruit in its season and the leaves don't fall off and whatever they do prospers. That's what God wants for you today. That's what God wants for you in your life. I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Out of the English Standard Version, he said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let, I love the way that word is, is positioned and is put there. Let the word of God dwell. You have to let it. You have to let it. It's there. His word is there. It has the power. But for the word to dwell inside of you, to dwell inside of you richly, that it would not just get in you, but that it would be there continually, constantly, that it would get in you in the deepest level. Brother George is going to help me out here. He's one of our uh, incredible musicians here at Impact City. We're grateful for our worship team. When we, when we look at his word and the effect that it has on your life, what effect, to what effect is it having? How much are we allowing the word inside of you? Inside of us. How much am I really devoting my time to it? Because the truth is we, we tend to say we're too busy. But, but the truth is we have time. We make time for what's important to us. Amen. Thank you, brother. For the word to dwell in you richly. Can I use this illustration? This water is, is, is my life. And it's your life. And I got some English tea right here. And if I dip this into the water. You'll see that if it stays there for just a little bit, the color begins to change. But it's not yet tea. Still, it has tea, 
but it's still water. If you take it out, I wouldn't drink that. But what happens when we let that just seep in there? What happens when we let that just sit in there? And it stays there. What was once water begins to take on a new form. It's no longer water, but it turns into tea. For us to get the full effect of God's word in our lives, if we want God's word to change us and to transform us and to make the difference that it wants to make, I have to let it sit there. So I want to quickly tell you three different dips that can help you have the word dwell in you. Are you ready? All right. First thing is this. I want, to be, I'm going to, I want to be very practical this morning and just teach you a few things that, that can help us. If I want to get into the word, how can I take a step to get there? Well, the first thing is this. I want you to get a translation that you like. Get a translation that you like. We understand that in the original manuscript, the Old Testament is in Hebrew, the New Testament is in Greek, and we have different translations. And those translations are taken from the original manuscripts that were found, dozens and dozens in the English language, but there's still thousands that don't have, an, that don't have a Bible in their language. But we're, we're blessed, amen, that we're able to have too many to count sometimes. So we have to read it in a, in a form that just captures my attention and, and that I'm able to understand it better. So you have what's called formal equivalency. And what this means is that it is translated word for word. So somebody took the Bible in its original manuscript and then translated it word for word for what it means. You have the, the, the King James Version that was written in 1611 that is a word for word. You have the New King James Version, which is the same as the King James Version, but the, the language is a little bit easier to understand. It doesn't have the, the thou, the, thou uh, the arts and the these. Okay. And then you have the, the New American Standard Bible. That's also a word for word. And you have the English Standard Version. These are just some examples. So we're going through this. That's what you have formal equivalency or what they also call exact equivalency. So if that's too difficult, sometimes you, you want to just talk to me in normal, in a regular term. You don't have to use the thous, the arts, and the these. So you have the second type that's called functional equivalency. Functional equivalency is usually somewhere between 6th and 8th grade reading level. Some call it dynamic equivalency. And it's not word for word, but it's thought for thought. So the meaning is still there. So somebody, when they translated it, they took the whole verse and translated that whole verse as a thought. Some examples are the New Living Translation. The Good News 
today's English version. And then you have the NIV version that barely makes it. And I'll tell you why. Because the NIV is really a combination of the formal equivalency and the functional equivalency. It, it translates word for word, but yet it is very accurate and very practical at the same time. Since 1987, this version, the NIV, has sold more than any other versions of the Bible. There's not even a second close. And the third type is this. So we're talking about getting a translation that you like. You got formal equivalency, you got functional equivalency, and then you have what's called paraphrase. Paraphrase. And it is not word for word. Somebody took the, for example, the NIV version and translated it into a more understandable English, into something that is common language. So they, they didn't use the original manuscripts with this, but they're able to paraphrase. So you got, for example, the Living Bible. And this was actually written by a gentleman named Dr. Kenneth Taylor. He wrote this Bible for his, he translated this Bible, should I say, for his children because he wanted his children to be able to understand the Bible. So if you're looking for a Bible that your children will understand, the Living Bible is a good one. You have the message. What these translations do for us as, as a reader, as a believer, is it makes the word come to life. It's, they're, they're great study Bibles. They're great to be able to just capture the thought. So I want to look at these three types of, of functional, of, of formal, functional, and paraphrase by just taking the same verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, which is a very well-known verse. You see in the King James Version, it says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. When you, when you look at the word in the original Greek language, that word right there is agape, which we've heard before. If you haven't heard that, agape means it is, it is an unconditional kind of love. It's not the phileo love, which is brotherly love. It, it is not to, uh, any other type of love. It is an agape. It is a, the unconditional love of God. So, so when they translated it, they used the word charity. And when you look at the word suffering, you hear this in, at weddings a lot. It, it means patient in the Greek. So that, there you have the King James. Let's look at it in the NIV. Then you'll see love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Language that we're a little bit more familiar with. It's not as poetic, but it's more understandable. And then you have it. In, let's look at it. the same verse in the message translation. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head. It paraphrases. It helps us understand. So what I want to challenge you, the first thing today is get a translation that you like. Go out, get a Bible. There's obviously digital Bibles. You can find a translation that just makes it resound with you. Get the word of God in your life every day. And if you want to go deeper, if you want to go deeper, get a study Bible that not only has the translation, but one that has a commentary on the same page. You've seen the footnotes that come with it. 
the Life Application Bible is an example of this. And if you want to go a little bit deeper than that, so I, I get a translation that I like. Then I get a study Bible that I'm just able to read on, on a daily basis, that I'm able to just get, let that word get inside of me. But if you say, I want to just... I want to go a little bit deeper. And you say, I don't want to be the same person. Can I challenge you to get in a small group where you can digest and discuss the word and, and not only have community, but be able to discuss and say, what, what, do you, what does that speak to you? And, and how do you see that? And how is the word coming alive in you? That you not only read it, that you not only study it, but, but you're in a group, and, and, and we're doing what the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, that we're growing together, that we're learning together, that we're letting the word get deep down on the inside. David said, your word I have hid in my heart that I would not sin against you. Get the word in your heart because when you let it get inside you and when it dwells inside you, it looks a whole lot different than when it started. It looks a whole lot different than when it started. Now this, this cup of water has taken on a new identity. It's not just water anymore. I can't say, would you like some water? This is tea. This is tea. We have a life that has been changed. We have a life that has been transformed. We have a life that has been renewed from the inside out because of what we let inside of it. We will become what we let inside of us. Say to this that we will become what we let inside of us. It looks different. Wouldn't you agree? If I liked tea, I would get in closer and smell it. Anybody wants? I drink coffee, guys. It smells different. It, takes, it has taken on a new aroma. It has become what we let dwell inside of it richly. What are you letting dwell inside of you? Is it social media? Is it, is it the, the tendency to just call someone and just be able to rant on what's going on? And, and if you surround yourself with negative people, you soon become negative and, and, and you see things not the way that you used to because you're letting the words spoken in bad company. What does the Bible say? A bad company corrupts good morals. I want the word to dwell inside you. I love you to tell, enough to tell you I want the word to dwell inside you. That when you are not here, 
that you're able to have the word hidden in your heart and that you're able to make some deposits that, that when life happens, you're able to stand and you're able to say, you know what? God's word is my strength. That you're able to, that when you, you're faced with trouble, that you're able to, to quote, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, that the righteous will run to him and they are saved. That, that when, when trouble comes my way, that I can say he is my quick and he is my present help in the time of need. That when I am, when I am going through, through something that I can say be anxious for nothing but in everything, in everything through prayer and supplication, that I can make my requests be known to God, that, that I could be faced with the hardest difficulty of my life, but that I can remember what the book of Hebrews says, that I can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help and mercy in the time of need. That I would not be swayed by society, by what the world says. No, my identity comes from the word of God that is true forever. You will become, we will become what we allow in our lives. So I want to break down the Bible for you. And, and help us just understand what, what the big picture is. I just have a few more moments. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years, 1,600 years. Interesting to know. It was written in over a dozen countries on three continents by 40 people. The Bible was written by poets, by prophets, by farmers, by kings, by soldiers, by shepherds, by princes, by priests, by historians, by fishermen, by tax collectors, by scholars, by businessmen, and by doctors. The Bible was written in caves. It was written in ships, on pa in palaces, in prisons, and in deserts. And considering all that information, how did they come up, the question comes up, how did they come up with the same story without contradiction? And I'll answer that question because there is only one author, and that is our God. Second Timothy chapter 3 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, not just some of it, all scripture. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly, not just a little bit, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is what God desires for us, that we would let this scripture just work in our lives. That when I wake up in the morning, I'll say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That when I lay down to, 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 to sleep at night, that I will say, I will lay down in peace and I will sleep in that same way because only you, God, will keep me secure. That I would be trained and equipped for every good work, that every part of my life would be influenced, that every part of my life would be through the vantage point, through the perspective, through the lens of God's infallible, 
unchangeable, incorruptible word. The Bible works because the Bible is alive. His word is alive. It helps every part of our lives and it thoroughly equips me to be a better parent, to be a better son, to be a better spouse, to be a better whatever you are. It equips you that when trouble comes, what does the Bible say? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That, that when trouble comes, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. That in the dark times, when the enemy wants to insert lies into our minds and, and wants to replay events and conversations and things that want to bring us down, that I would be able to cancel those lies with the truth of God's word. What does God's word say? That I am a victor, I'm not a victim. What does God's word say? That I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. I am blessed because I, I, it's not because of any other reason, but because of the God that I serve. When I feel like I'm unimportant and when you feel like you don't matter, that I'm reminded that I am the apple of his eye and that he has made us just a little bit lower than the angels. That when, I, when lies and deceptions want to come and people want to cast down on you and people want to put you down and people want to talk about you, that I can say I'm not defined by what you say, but I'm defined by God's word. I am more than an overcomer through him that loved me. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes. You may have walked in in part in the middle of the story, but just stick around and see how the story ends. Just the God that I serve, he is faithful to, be, to complete the work. To complete the work. Can I tell you, that's, that's something that I've had to feed my soul this week. That's something that I have to feed my soul. The God that I serve, he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in me. That I'll be able to say I will, like David said in the book of Psalms, I will not die, but I will live. And I will proclaim the works of God. Another important note, the Bible is a collection of 66 books. And interesting enough, it's not categorized chronologically. So it's not placed there in the exact sequence of how it occurred. It's grouped there in different forms for our convenience so we would be able to reference it. When we look at the Bible... We'll look at it through, from Genesis to Revelation. The first five books of the Bible are known as the law books. Genesis through Deuteronomy. Right after the law is given, you have 12 books of history. Joshua all the way to Esther. Then you have five poetry books that are grouped together. That start in Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Then you have 17 prophecy books. You have five major prophets from Isaiah to Daniel. And then you have 
what's known as 12 minor prophets, Hosea to Malachi. They're not major and minor because they're better than the other. They're, they're based like that because of how much they wrote. You'll notice that the book of Isaiah is longer than the book of Malachi. So you have the major prophets and then you have the minor prophets and then you have 400 years of silence. Nothing's occurring. You have the Greek conquest that takes place during this time. It's when you have Alexander the Great that you learned about in history class. And then you have the Roman conquests that all are occurring between Malachi and then Jesus arrives to the scene. Jesus comes on and then you have the Gospels. You have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it is the same story from four different perspectives. Are they, are, are they exact? No, because they're from their perspectives. You'll notice that John is the only one that will write about Lazarus. In John chapter 11, they're all, they all give account, firsthand information of their time with Jesus. And then you have the book of Acts, which is the historical record of the church, the first church. The church is being planted, and it is found in the book of Acts. And then you have the epistles. There's 21 total that start with Romans and go all the way to Jude. And then you have Revelations, which is the prophecy of the last days and the eternity. 66 books in all. That's how it's put together. But you still may ask the question, but what does it mean? What's it all about? What's it all about? And I want to show you something I came across, the plot, the mirror image of what it is that I'm drawing to a close. If you'll start with me on the bottom left-hand side. Bottom left-hand side. God and righteous people in paradise. God created Adam and Eve. And he put them in the Garden of Eden. He put them to enjoy his presence. But man's decision, they, they didn't live off the tree of life. They chose, they didn't live off of the word that God spoke to them. They decided to take matters into their own hands. matters into their own hands. And, and that's when we see in Genesis 3 that Satan and sin enter. So it starts with God and righteous people in paradise. Satan and sin enter by the decision that Adam and Eve made. Let's go up. The world is judged and, and destroyed. God sent a flood. You remember Noah and the big boat? God sent a flood. And after this, and they start over, they get a new chance. They get a new opportunity. It's a new day to start over. And then what happens after that? They, the Tower of Babel comes along. And they said, we will build a tower to get to God. It was a mindset. It was a mentality of we can do things on our own. 
we can do things on our own. And God said, no, we're not, get, we're, we're not going to do that. So he establishes, we have the 12 tribes, the people of Israel, God's holy people. And then we see Jesus. Jesus is at the front, at the top, and at the center because it is all about Jesus. And then Jesus comes and he starts the church and you have 12 disciples that turn the world upside down. It is the church. It is God's holy people. And then you, you come into a, a time that I believe we're, if we're not at the beginning, we're somewhere in the middle. I think we're, if we're more likely in the middle. One world government system, this mentality of man, this mentality of the world that we can do things on our own. That we can do, we don't need God. We don't need God, and it is a lie from the pit of hell. We need him in every moment. We need him at every turn. I, I don't, you know, some people see God as a spare tire, but I would caution that we do that. I, I, need, I, I don't need him just when, when I have trouble. I, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. It's, it's a mentality, and you're seeing it all around. You see it. In celebrities, you see it in government, it, it is where we're at. And while we understand that God promised that he would never again flood the earth, we do know through the book of Revelations that the world will be destroyed. The world will be destroyed. It will be judged and destroyed. And in that time, God will come for his people. Oh, what a day it will be. Oh, what a day. Satan and sin will exit. And he will be thrown, the Bible tells us, into the bottomless pit. And we will reign with him forever. And ever. And you see the parallels. And then no longer is it God and righteous people that will live forever. They will be God and redeemed people. Aren't you glad you're redeemed? In paradise. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When you look at that, if you look at the 12 tribes, Israel, Israel's God's holy people, you'll remember the Ten Commandments. They were all external laws that dealt with behavior, that dealt with the way you looked on, the way, the way people could, could view you. External, but there was nothing on the inside, there was nothing that got to the heart. And that's why Jesus comes and makes right what couldn't be made right on our own. We need, we're sinners. We're sinners in need of a Savior. It's about Jesus. An interesting, an interesting thought. The word paradise, 
in the original language, one of the words used to, to describe it is resort. How many of you like a good resort? Can you imagine? I can only imagine what it will be like in God's presence. There will be no more pain where there will be no more suffering. It's God's will for us. Notice that it starts with God and his people. God wants to have this relationship with his people. Adam and Eve make it a bad decision and we've made bad decisions up until now. But he loves us that much that he pursues us. He chases after us with a relentless love. And he will do it because his word says it. So if that's what the Bible is all about, What is the subject? The subject of the Bible is Jesus. So when you read the Bible, find Jesus. You may ask, is he in the Old Testament? Well, watch what Jesus says. Because they confront him and, and they, they didn't have the New Testament yet. And in John chapter 5, as Jesus is having this conversation with religious people, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But what does Jesus say? But the scriptures point to me. It's all about Jesus. So if Jesus is the subject, what is the verb of the Bible? Some would say it's love. No, it's not love. Because there's something better than love. You, you're probably like, what, what can be better than love? I can have love, but if I keep it to myself. So it's not just love exclusively. No, no. The verb of the Bible is to give. That's what we do at Impact City Church. We give of our gifts, we give of our times, we give of our abilities, we give of our money, we give of our resources. We send money monthly to 10 plus organizations that, that help people in need from recovering from drug addiction to, to women that, that are left alone and others. So you may not ever be able to go out and, and be in one of those locations, but you go every time that you give. I love a saying that I heard growing up. Some give when they go, but some go when they give. So the verb, if the verb of the Bible is give, what does all that mean? For God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world and kept it to himself. No, he loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son that whoever would 
believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't just have love, he gave love. He didn't just have it, he didn't just possess it, he gave it. Look what 1 John 3.16 says. This will be, and I'll close. 1 John 3.16, the parallel, you got John 3.16, and then you have 1 John 3.16. says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. I want to challenge you. Come next Sunday, part two, we're going to dive in deeper into what it means to build our life on his word. His word is alive. His word can find you right where you're at. Father, I thank you today. I thank you today for your word. Your word is true forever. I thank you today that no one is too far gone from your great love. I thank you today that you didn't just possess it, but you gave it. I thank you that your word changes. God, that we would let your word dwell in us richly. We would wake up and meditate on it. We would go throughout the day and meditate. That we would go to bed meditating. That your word would give us a new identity. That your word would change us from the inside out. That your word would heal. That it would deliver. That it would set free that it would renew, that it would restore. I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, and I, right now I just pray for someone that has a heavy burden. Carrying shame and carrying guilt. And maybe that's you today. And you say, I, I need a savior. You're, you're trying to figure out things on your own and you're trying to work things out. You were created with a God-sized void. And he is the only one that can fill it. And maybe you're here today. And you say, today's the day that I want to give my life to Jesus. Today's the day I'm going to open my heart and let him in. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you right now, if that is you, you say, I want to make that first step, that, that decision. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to invite you. You say, this is the day I give my life to Jesus. I want to invite you just right there. Raise your hand in a sign of surrender. I see you. I see you right, right now. At Impact City, we believe that no one should walk through life alone. So I want to invite everyone at the sound of my voice to pray this prayer 
with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to die for me. You took my place. I admit I am a sinner. I need a savior. I open my heart. Come in. Be the Lord of my life. And let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together for everybody that received him today? I'm going to invite you to stand. As we enter a moment of worship, if you find yourself in this place today and your heart is heavy and you're, you're burdened, you're weary, you're tired, been dealing with something on the inside, been dealing with something on the outside, maybe it's a very public matter, maybe it's a very private matter, I want to remind you that God is the God of impossibility. What is impossible for man is possible for him. So I want to invite you, if you are in this place today, there's people that want to surround you and pray with you, put their arm around you, speak life into you. You're going through something. I want to tell you, you don't have to go through it alone. God sees you and we love you and care enough about you to pray with you. So right now, Father, we thank you. There's no situation that's too difficult for you. I thank you that there is nothing impossible for you. I pray right now, God, for every heart that is hurting, for every spirit that is wounded. Right now, God, you say, you said that we could bring to you our burdens and that you would give us rest. And there's some of us in this place that we're tired deep down on the inside. We're frustrated deep down on the inside. We're going through stuff deep down on the inside and we need rest for our spirit and for our soul. And right now, God, we just come to you and we ask that you, God, would do the work that only you can do, that you would do the impossible, that you would work through the difficulty that you would work through the challenge, that you would work through the impossibility. Right now, God, we thank you for it. We believe you for it. We take you at your word. We stand on your word. In Jesus' name, amen.